0: And all God's people said, "Amen." Thank you, Elaine, Stephen, Choir. I don't know about you guys, but I was touched by that music. They were on fire today, weren't they? Wow! It's amazing that you can celebrate what God has done in your life and what He's going to do. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in First Peter. For those of you just joining us, we've been going a verse by verse study through First Peter, and our series theme is called "What." It's on your screen: Holy Hope. And 1 Peter is a book that not a lot of people talk about because in the book of 1 Peter, it talks a lot about suffering. How many of you like to go through suffering? Raise your hand. Nobody, right? But 1 Peter talks about suffering is not something that you would choose, but if it's chosen for you, it's actually a gift in disguise. And God can use suffering to bring you closer to God, and His glory is made strong in your weakness. We see another theme of holiness And the church is quiet when we talk about holiness. We don't hear about that much anymore in churches, but 1 Peter talks about it. Today we're going to talk about something interesting. It's kind of a gem in the middle of the book. In the midst of suffering and trials and challenges, there's this passage in chapter 3, verse 8, that talks about the good life. How many of you would want to say that you want to live the good life? Raise your hand. All of us, right? You'd be... It'd be sad if you'd say no, like you've given up on the good life, but we're going to talk about the good life and what it looks like to actually love the life that God's given you, what that looks like scripturally. So before we jump into the text, my family and I last week were gone, and uh, we went to a water park in Sevierville, Tennessee. Any of you ever been to the Wilderness Lodge water park? All right, it's fun if you ever get to go. It's, it's fun for kids and adults. So we went and... Um, Kira, Noel, and Gabriel, all three of them had fun. And I think Lori and I had just as much fun watching them have fun. So it was good to get away. And some of the things, I, I, as I thought in reflection about kids and time, for those of you who have kids growing up, you'll understand this, but it's kind of a sad way to look at it, but you only have 18 summers with your kids before they hit adulthood. Have you ever thought about that, 18 summers? Kira's already four, so we got 14 left, Lori. So I thought about that. And a second thing I thought about with kids is you never want to lose your sense of awe and wonder. Because kids are so excited and they have this sense of awe and wonder. Why do we as adults lose that along the way? Somehow we lose that sense of, wow, this is amazing. It would be great to tap into that. And then the third thing that really emerged to me is time spent together as a family or time with your friends is not time wasted. I've never met anyone at the end of their life that said, "I wish I'd spent more time in the office. I wish I'd spent more time working." They always say, "I wish I would have spent more time with my family and friends," because your relationships they carry on. So those are those are just a few observations um, that made me think about it. So I, I've researched the typical life, and how many of you think? Let's say in a seven-year life, hopefully we live eighty, ninety, a hundred, but. In the typical seventy year life, how long do you think we spend working? Anybody want to make a guess how many years? Okay, you're getting close. We spend the average of sixteen years working. If you add up all the all the hours, sixteen years. That's a long time. Twenty three years sleeping. Some of you maybe a little bit longer than that. <laughs> Twenty three years sleeping. Eight years watching TV. Wow. You know, now they probably need to have a social media section. How many hours have you been on social media? Six years eating. That's a lot of eating going on, isn't it? We spend six years traveling. Four and a half years we spend in leisure. So for those of you who are living for the weekend to have fun, you only got four and a half years in the average lifespan. That's not a lot, lot of time, isn't it? The average 70-year-old lifespan spends four years being sick. So, during those 70 years, four years of that is spent with some type of sickness. Kind of sad, huh? Two years getting ready. I guess the ladies balance that out, right? As guys, it's like a week, maybe. I don't know. And then, for spiritual purposes, the average 70-year lifespan, only half a year on spiritual purposes. So, whereas we spend eight years on TV, we only spend half a year, you know, trying to encounter God. And, you know, we think about that, it's like, That kind of puts things in perspective. And today we're going to talk about how to actually love the life that God's given you. How to enjoy it. How to get the most out of it. This is going to be a message of encouragement. Some of us it's going to be a message of challenge. But ultimately it's going to be encouraging and positive to you. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 8. And we have this scripture on your screen. It says, finally all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. In the original Greek, it's the word humble. Be humble. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Four. Now, this, this scripture right here is quoted out of Psalm 34. Now, before I read it, I want to paint a backdrop. A lot of times... We're getting ready to read the scripture. He would love life, see good days. It's beautiful. But in the context of Psalm 34, and I never discovered this until recently, but this was written when King David was running for his life. Basically, King Saul was trying to kill him, and he went to King Abimelech in Gath, who was part of the Philistines. And you remember, David had killed Goliath, who was a Philistine. So David is worried that King Abimelech would also kill him. So, he pretended to be insane. You remember, he was clawing at the walls. Uh, he was salivating at the mouth so that the king would say, get rid of this guy. He's crazy. So, David wrote what we're getting ready to read in the midst of a crisis. So, for those who say, I can't enjoy life, I can't have a good time because I'm experiencing crisis, listen, this is right in the center of crisis. And in 1 Peter, you'll read before and after this passage, it's talking about suffering. So, No matter what you're going through, you can still love life and see good days. Amen? So it says, he who would love life and see good days, he said, if that's you, if anyone listening to this wants to enjoy your life, here's some things to think about. Let him refrain from evil, refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. So he's saying, be careful what you say. How many of us realize that your mouth can get you into trouble? I know very well that's true. (laughs) And it says, let him turn away from evil and do good. So in other words, if you want to enjoy a good life, you can't really expect to enjoy the life God's given you if you keep on making bad choices. It's just the law of the harvest and work. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So that, that makes sense. If you want to have a good life, you've got to have good relationships, right? So if someone's at odds with you, you've got to try to make peace with them. And then it says, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Isn't it great to know that God is watching you? Isn't it great even in the midst of your problem, God gives you a promise? And here's the promise. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. What does it say in James? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person? It avails much. It says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, Father, we pray for your word that you would speak to our hearts And God, I know that everyone within the sound of my voice wants to have a good life, wants to enjoy it, wants to see your goodness. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts from your word, and that from it we would be encouraged, challenged, and most importantly, our character would look more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let's talk about how to experience the good life. From this text, we can see, number one, that we need to be fully alive on the inside, and it will show on the outside. Look at verse 8. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. So a lot of us can experience life, but it has to start on the inside. And these character traits we just read in verse 8, these are all internal. And for those of you who are here Wednesday night, you heard the story of Brian Allen. And it just blew me away hearing his testimony. We had a special guest musician come in. And for those of you who weren't here, his testimony was this. He was a pastor's son. His dad was a pastor for 40 years. And sometimes, often, you hear the story of PKs. They end up getting into trouble. Well, he was one of those typical PKs. And uh, he ended up starting taking drugs. He said every drug you could think of, he was taking. And he started going to Western Carolina, which everyone knows is a party school. So he got more and more in party party scene. And basically what had happened... Is he said instead of just selling, instead of taking the drugs, I decided to sell the drugs. So now he's at Western Carolina, pastor's son selling drugs. And that seems like wow, right? So what happens next is he was shocked when the police officer showed up at his, I guess it was his apartment or dorm room, and arrested him for five and a half years. He was the due prison sentence. He got out in four and a half years, but in the midst of the beginning of his prison sentence, He knew the gospel. He'd heard it all his life from his father, his mother. And he prayed to receive Christ there in prison. And he said, you know, I'm not going to spend the rest of this time wasting my time. So he learned how to play the guitar. He started writing songs. And since he's been out of prison, he's been going full time helping out churches, sharing the gospel. And many people have gotten saved through his testimony. And isn't that amazing? So it doesn't matter what your past is. God can use anything to change it and to bring about transformation. So he went from partier to preacher. And God God used that transformation. So let's look back at verse 8. Look at the qualities. First of all, it says unity. It says we're to have one mind. Notice it's unity, not uniformity. A lot of times you go to churches and they, they paint a picture that everyone has to look like this, act like this. You know, cookie cutter Christian. But really, if you read through the Bible, there's so much diversity. Even with the the twelve apostles, they were so different. Some were fishermen, some dealt with taxes, there were so different personalities. And the danger with churches is sometimes they want everyone to be in a certain mold so much that it becomes a personality, and it becomes like a personality cult. Some of you have seen churches like that, but it's unity. Notice empathy, empathy towards others. It says we've got to have compassion. So many times you share your heart with somebody, and if they don't respond in a compassionate way, how does that make you feel? Doesn't make you feel very well. doesn't make you want to share and open up your heart. So what what this text is saying is if you really want to live a good life, you gotta be united and you gotta have compassion for one another. The word compassion literally means to feel with somebody, not just to feel sorry for them, but you feel their pain. I heard a story about this pastor that was suffering with depression. And he went to this older senior adult pastor and said, I I I don't know what's going on. I'm suffering with depression and just pray for me that God will take this away. And the older pastor said, son, I think this will do your congregation more good for you than you'll realize because what you're going through, you can relate to other people who are depressed and God will help you with it. But you're going through this so God can help you relate to others. So it says, have compassion. What about loving like family? The scripture in verse eight says, love like brothers. So that's saying, if you really want to live the good life, you've got to be surrounded in a group of people that they love you so much it feels like family. So a church, when you go to a church, it shouldn't feel like you're going to some cold, holy huddle situation, You know, the chosen frozen. It should feel like, I'm going home to my family. And that's the way church should feel. When you come walk through the doors, it feels like you're coming home. How many of you feel that ardent first? Amen, that's good. It should feel like family, feel like coming home. We should embrace grace in all of our relationships. When it says being tender-hearted, it it flows out of empathy. Whenever you're empathetic to someone, you start to feel this tender-hearted, like you feel with them and for them, and you're saying, you know what, you're going through a hard time, but get this, God is for you and so am I. We all know that God is for you, but doesn't it help it to know that other people are there for you as well? And the next part of that says be courteous. As I said in the Greek, it means choose humility. So part of having a life that feels fully alive is to walk in humility. Because whenever you get on the ride of pride, how many of you know it comes to a crashing fall? Whenever pride walks on the stage, God walks off the stage of your life. Pride on the stage, God off the stage. Because really, if you study scripture, most sins, you think about it, flows out of pride. And pride is a mentality that I deserve this, I can do better, I am better. And out of that flows pretty much every other sin you can think of is pride. So whenever you put pride aside, grace has a chance to invade your life again. And God has a chance to work through it. So, think about it like this. When the light of the world is living inside of you, the darkness begins to dissipate. It begins to go away. So when when verse 8 tells about these character qualities, he's setting the stage for the good life. If you want to have a good life, it's got to start first on the inside. Now, many of us in American culture, we want the good life on the outside. We want the nice car, the nice house, the na- nice spouse, whatever it may be. But if you have all those things, but the inside's not there, I mean, just look at the Hollywood tabloids. How many are getting divorces every day? Because they have all the external, but if you don't have the internal, it doesn't count for much. Amen? Number two, live as citizens of heaven and watch heavenly sunlight brighten your days. Live as citizens of heaven and watch heavenly sunlight brighten your days. Look at verse nine. It says in verse nine that we should not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. The NIV says something like insult for insult. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. The story is told of John Wesley. He was a famous pastor of the Methodist Church. And he was so bold. And there was many dangers in that day and time. If someone didn't like your preaching, they could throw rotten eggs at you. They could throw fruit. No, you guys don't get any ideas out there, right? I don't like that point. As long as you throw filet mignons at me, it would be fine. I'll catch it and we'll have a little basket. But one time, one of his co-pastors actually... Uh, was standing next to George Whitfield and got hit with a rock, I believe it was, and died. So John Wesley wrote this manual, and I thought, I thought this was kind of humorous, is how to deal with disgruntled crowds. And part of John Wesley's advice was find the agitator of the crowd. And this is his, his advice. I'm not saying it's good or not. It's just what John Wesley said. He said, get in his face and show no fear. <laughs> so he was saying just, you know, get, get the agitator out and you can, you can preach your message So John Wesley would often get pelted with rotten fruit, rotten eggs. On one account, get this, and this shocked me when I read this. John Wesley, one of the thugs of the town, didn't like him. So John Wesley had long hair. So those gentlemen have long hair. Listen to this. He was dragged through the city by his long hair by this thug. But he kept on preaching. I'm just like, if someone grabbed my hair, I probably would say, stop, I need all that I have. Don't pull it, number one. But number two, to keep on preaching, (laughs) drug through the streets. I mean, he had a tenacity that many of us lack today. So part of that is he was a citizen of heaven, and he realized this earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. And uh, Warren Wearsby, I think we have a quote. He said, "There's three levels of operation as a citizen of, of heaven to think about. The first level is what you see a lot in the world. It's returning good. Excuse me, returning evil for good. That satanic level. So whenever someone returns evil for doing good." That's satanic involvement, and you guys have seen that on the news. Someone's trying to do good, and then evil comes at them. That's satanic level. Whenever you return good for good and evil for evil, Wearsby said, that's on the human level. Humanity, generally, if you treat me nice, I'll treat you what? Treat you nice. If you treat me bad, I'll treat you the same way, right? Like, that's the human level. But Wearsby says there's a third level. It's whenever you return good, even in the face of evil. That's the divine level. And the Holy Spirit has to get you to that level because verse 9 says that when someone insults you instead of insulting them, you return it back with blessing. And that's that's really hard. How many of you, when your boss yells at you at work, you just want to say, God bless you? I'm praying for you today. I'm fasting for you. Let me bake you a lasagna and b- bring it to your wife so she doesn't have to cook tonight. How many of you have that response? Not a single hand. Crickets at Arden First today. But it's just the human nature, right? So In your your worship guide, there's an outline I want you guys to follow. There's five basic differences between the world and how it operates and how we as Christians should operate. The first one is this, payback versus give back. Payback versus give back. The world teaches if someone treats you horribly, you return in like kind. The Bible teaches, you know what, God blessed you so you can be a blessing even when they don't deserve it. That's hard. Cut down versus build up. I remember in school when someone had a cut down or a mark, what did you try to do? You try to come back with a greater comeback, right? And I tried, I wasn't always the best comeback king, but I tried. If you cut me down, I'm gonna come back with something a zinger, make you look bad in front of the whole class. But is that really the good thing? No. So instead of cutting someone down, try to build them up. And something I often tell teenagers, and it's applicable to adults. To think about the psychology behind it, when someone is cutting you down, what does that usually say about them? Usually they're insecure, right? So instead of re- retaliating, you say, you know what? I'm fine. God's blessed me. I, you know, He lives inside of me. I'm, I'm on my way to, to glory. Um, he's got great plans for me. So instead of reverting back to my old ways, what they really need is they're insecure. I want to bless them instead and build them up. So that's hard. The world's mentality is me first. Climb your way to the top of the ladder. Be successful. Do all all you can. And then when you're retired, you sit on the can, right? Just enjoy life. But the Bible says joy. Jesus, others, and what? Yourself. So we need to realize that that's hard to do. But that's, that's God's way versus the world's way. The world teaches greatness is found in getting, right? The abundance of how many things you can inquire is the greatest. But last time I checked, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Have you? I just haven't seen it. Because you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And it's by giving and by serving. On a little side note, Arden First is one of the most, I've been blown away by your generosity and the service. Um, I often talk to Tom and George and some of the other leaders, and we're just we're amazed at how many people step up to serve. For those of you who serve on Wednesday night and the ushers and choir and hospitality, and uh, we have a good 10 to 20 percent of the church that's there all the time serving. But sometimes that load gets heavy, and sometimes they're like, "Hey, there's a room on the bus for you. Come join me." And there's a place for everybody to serve. And we're a very giving church. Um, to give you a few reports. Um, we had a Teresa McMillan on Sunday night, and the church took up $800 for her mission work. And that's just huge. I mean, just to think on a Sunday night service, it's just amazing, the generosity. So we're, we're already walking in that, and God's helping us in that. Number five, the difference between the worldly way versus godly way. Greatness is found in self-satisfaction versus self-sacrifice and service. So... Who said, I can't get no satisfaction? Was that Sinatra, right? Well, the reason why is if you seek after only yourself, you're going to end up miserable. And here's the plague of the world. They pursue happiness, but they end up unhappy. You ever think about that? Those who are chasing after the things that make them feel good, the feel good rubs off and then they're miserable again. And I've had so many countless people in my life that I just say, if you will just turn it around instead of pursuing after yourself, turn it around and try to pursue God and helping others, you will be satisfied. You will be fulfilled. Amen? So those are just a few of the parallels, the difference between the world and God. But there's a promise attached to this verse. Look back, look back at verse 8. and Excuse me, verse 9. It says, But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that to you, were, you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now what's beautiful about this, in the context, context is talking about suffering. Whenever someone's persecuting you, Reverting back to Matthew 5, he says if someone curses you and you bless them, you know, God will reward you. But here's the picture. If you want God to continue to bless you, don't stop blessing others. Have you ever wondered why God's blessing a person's life and all of a sudden it stops? I think if you trace it back to their, their heart for others, if they stop serving and stop helping others, sometimes those blessings stop flowing. So you are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. All right. Number three. And this is one of my favorite points. Practice good relational skills with God and others. Verses 10 through 12 talk about here's how you can have relational success, not only with others, but with God. You could also put the word habits. There's certain relational habits that help you to be successful. Let's read verses 10 through 12 and we'll draw a few points from there. It says he who would love life. How many of you want to love your life? Everybody, right? Okay. Here And see good days. Keep in mind, when David's writing this, from which it's quoted, he, he's running for his life. But he had a picture that, you know what, God is going to redeem me from this. And even the worst case scenario, if you kill a Christian, you actually promote him or her. I mean, no matter what happens, my life is going to see good days, and God's God's going to do something great. So here's the truth for the Christian. The best days are not now. The best days are in front of us. Amen. That's a beautiful picture. So whenever you hear your best life now, well, we live in a fallen world. So the best life, you can have a great life now, but the best life is coming. And God's got it for us. So it says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Have you ever met somebody that just lit up a room? They just had some, some they call it emotional intelligence, where you see someone and somehow people are drawn to them. For those of you back in high school, college days, you can remember that person that whatever it was about him. All the energy just kind of focused around them. I remember this guy in high school, and Madison, you're getting ready to graduate, so you'll appreciate this reflection. But this guy in high school, he was like the homecoming king. And I would analyze him, and I'm like, he's just the average guy. Like, why is everybody liking this guy? Um, he, he was ordinary in the way he looks. So I'm like, why, you know, what is it? He, he was just average. But what was distinct about him is he connected with everyone on an emotional level. It didn't matter in the school I went to before I switched to private school. It didn't matter if you're an athlete, if you're a country boy, if you were, you know, whatever category you fell in into the high school economy, this guy could talk to everybody. And because of that, everybody liked this guy and wanted to talk to him. And it was funny. He would walk down the mall and he would, like, point at people. He'd be one of those guys like, and you'd go, oh, Micah just pointed at me. You know, he's just one of those guys. So... Here's some very practical things about how to do that. And it's in your outline. The first one is this. Here's how to get the most out of life. Speak life, number one, not death into your daily situations. So the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, there is power in the tongue. And you have the power of life or of death. Now here's something just to think about. I want you guys to experiment this week. For those people in your life who are always discouraged, depressed, and not feeling good, Listen to what they say. It's just an experiment. Are they usually saying, man, God is good. You know, I'm thankful to be alive. and I'm so thankful that God... In... Or is it usually negative? What do you guys think? So there is a, a direct correlation with what you speak and how your life is. And I'm not saying you can speak things into existence. I'm not going that far. But I'm saying there is power in the tongue. The power of life and the power of death. Just look at the difference between Winston Churchill and Adolf Hitler. They both used their words powerfully. One was life and the other one was death. You guys remember the Great Chicago Fire? I believe it was in 1871. I jotted down a few things about it. 3,000 people died. Over 100,000 homes burned down so that people were homeless. Does anybody remember the theory at least of how it started? Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern, and we don't know if that's true, but it came near the O'Leary's property, so people speculated. So get this, your words are like that fire, for good or for bad. And if you speak death in a situation, it spreads. If you speak life in a situation, it spreads. So the Bible is clear that your words, just got to be careful what you say. And I'm not saying we take it to the furthest extent of you speak things in existence, but your words have an effect. You guys with me? So speak life and not death into your situations. Number two, run away from the bad and run towards the good. So the Bible says that you know we're to stay away from evil. How many people in your life do you know that are constantly making bad choice after bad choice and then they wonder why they're not happy? They wonder why their life is the way it is. And it's just like... Have you ever heard the law of the harvest that you reap what you sow? I mean, it's just, and my heart is full of empathy for these people that if you would just reverse it, the same chain of bad decisions, if you would reverse it and start making good decisions, watch and see what God does. Watch and see how your life changes. Good example, as I mentioned, of Brian Allen. He kept making wrong decisions, but then he shifted it and look at his life now. And the same can be true for people in your life. Number three... My parents used to tell me this. I thought it was really good growing up. Be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper. Be a peacemaker. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12, as much as depends upon you, live at peace with all people. So, you know, peacemaking and peacekeeping is different. Being a peacekeeper is like, well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to offend them or upset them. Peacemaker says, if I don't talk to them, this situation will never be resolved. So the Bible encourages us to seek after peace and pursue it, to go after it. That's the only way you'll, you'll work through it. And number four, and Mrs. Dot and Brother Kirby will love this, keep on praying no matter what. Verse 12, it says, The Lord is open to the prayers of the righteous. Don't you guys love that when you pray to God and you're trying to walk with Him, He hears your prayers in such a way that He wants to answer and come through? So I've got a few practical applications before we close. These, these are not in your notes, but these are how to have great relationships with God and with others. So let's talk about God first. The first thing about having a relationship with God is spend time with Him daily. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Spend time with Him daily. But we wonder if we're only spiritual, spiritually fed on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays, and we're spiritually anemic, we wonder why. Imagine, someone mentioned this the other day about my wife, is, Timothy, imagine if you only talked to your wife like once or twice a week. How would that go over? I'm like, probably not very well. I mean, think about every, your life in general. If you only brushed your teeth once a week, how would that work? Not very well. You wouldn't have very many people sitting next to you right now. If you only took a shower once a week, how would that work? So your relationship with God is a daily thing. It's a daily exercise. Number two, keep short accounts with God. Better yet, keep no accounts with God. Confess your sins as they happen. As you fall short of God, to say, God, forgive me. It's funny, a lot of times growing up, we were taught to confess our sins before you go to bed. Anybody ever taught that? Right before you go to bed, make sure everything's clear with God. Why, Why wouldn't you confess them as they happen? So that way, there's nothing between you and your Savior. Keep short accounts with God. Number three, Learn to trust God more today than you did yesterday. And that's something that's a daily walk. Learning to trust Him and walk with Him. So those are some relational tips with God. If you want your relationship to thrive, spend time with Him, keep short accounts with Him, and learn to develop your trust. Okay, here's some tips by way of application for your relationship with others. If you want to have a good life, part of that is having a good relationship with others. Number one, you be the initiator in the relationship. A lot of times people want to have friends, but if you don't initiate, if you're not the initiator, you wonder why you don't have a lot of friends, Will you be the initiator. When in doubt, make the phone call. When in doubt, pick up the call, pick up the phone, make the phone call, pursue good relationships. Number two, this is something that some of us struggle with, I confess, become a better listener. How many of you struggle with listening sometimes? Now, here's the secret about listening. If you don't listen, you're not learning. You ever think about that? If you're talking, you're already saying what you know. But when you become a better listener, you become a learner. And here's a secret about most people. How many of you would say most people naturally want to talk about themselves? Okay, so here's a relational secret that could be worth the whole sermon for you with, with your friendship with others. If you will ask the right questions and listen, most people will talk the whole time. And at the end of that, they'll say, man... They were such they cared about me so much, they listened the whole time, even though you said nothing intelligent, you just sat there and listened, but you asked the right questions. You'll be amazed. You can have such great friendships if you just ask the right questions and listen. Amen. And number four, add more deposits than withdrawals from your friendship account. The thing about it is there's a few types of friends. there's givers, there's takers, and there's fakers. Some people give. And they're very generous. How many of you love generous friends? We all like people that are giving. And then there's takers. Those are the people that drain from you. Don't, don't point to the person next to you, but we know they exist. And then there's fakers. Those are people who pretend to be generous, but they're only doing it to get something in return. How many of you have met people like that? So there's givers, takers, and fakers. What, what type of friend does God want us to be? We, we want us to be givers, Right. So to summarize it, I've got a story about Thomas Carlyle. He was a famous Scottish artist and um, writer and philosopher. And Thomas Carlyle married his secretary. And she was madly in love with him. He was madly in love with her. But the problem with marrying your secretary is he treated her like his secretary even after he was his, she was his wife. How many of you ladies would like that? Nobody, right? So he, he was very famous in his day. And he would travel a lot. And unfortunately, he didn't spend a lot of time with his wife. And his wife got cancer. And she was on her sickbed. And he kept busy. You know, he would try to visit her occasionally. But he just kept on with his normal life. And after several months, his wife died. And a Mr. Carlisle went to the funeral. And he came back to his house, in the downstairs part of his house. And he was reflecting about his, his, the woman he loved so much And he began to think about it. You know, I haven't spent, I didn't spend a lot of time with her. And remorse started, just started choking him up. So he went upstairs into their bedroom and he sat in a chair next to the bed for which his wife was there quite often. And as he was thinking about his wife, he saw her journal lying there. And he's like, you know, I've never read this while she's alive, but let's just see what she thought. And he turned to an entry and it said something like this. Thomas saw me for an hour today. And it was like heaven to my soul. I love him so much. And he's just weeping. He turns a page, and it said, I, I've been waiting for the sound of his footsteps down the hallway, but it's getting late. I guess he won't come today. And as he turned by, page by page, he was grief stricken at the fact that he had not spent time with his wife. And he flung the journal down, ran down the stairs, and ran back to the graveyard. And he threw himself in the mud. And he said, if I had only known. If I had only known. And that that story is, I don't know about you, but it touches me. That God wants us to experience a good life. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But the problem is, so many times we get distracted by other things. So my heart for Arden first is that you guys have a great relationship with God and you guys have great relationships with each other. Because really that's what life's all about, right? Love God, love others with everything you got. So here's your take home truth as we get ready to um, embark on the rest of the day. I want you to think about this. This is the, the, the message in a sentence. If you want to live the good life start on the inside and work your way out. So it's not about, it's nothing wrong with having things, mind you, but it's about the inner qualities that are most important. Those are more important than any things you may have. If you work on the inside of you, it will show on the outside. So here's some family questions. As you have lunch together, dinner, as you take the kids to school this week, these are some questions to talk about. What is one practical way to grow in your relationship with God? That's something to think about. Well, we talked about Spending time with them every day. Well, what does that look like? Number two, what is the best relationship skill that has helped you in a relationship with others? And in fact, I would like you guys to email me your answer to number two because I'm always interested in having better relationship skills. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in this and I want to learn. So you guys send me some tips. Um, you know, some, maybe some creative ideas you have and that would be great. So preview for next Sunday before we close in prayer is it's, what day is next Sunday? Father's Day, right? So here's the challenge. Even if your husband does not go to church, this is the one day of the year I want you to drag him to church, and here's the reason why. It's going to be an entire service designed for men. And ladies, that doesn't mean you drop out next Sunday, but there's going to be some competitions going on, some fun stuff, I can't tell you what it is, but uh, I plan on having some filled and streamed gift cards to give out. How many of you men are competitive? Anybody? Okay, for those of you, okay, it's O'Neill versus Tom versus Lee versus Aaron. I don't know, we'll figure it out. We're gonna have some, some fun stuff during my sermon, and, uh, there'll be some, some, some guy stuff involved. So I can't, can't disclose it or you won't come, right? It's gonna be fun. So next Sunday, it's bring your daddy, bring your husband to church day. Alright, you guys ready for the challenge? Alright, well, let's close in prayer. Father, you are good. And your love endures forever. And Father, I'm th- I thank you for 1 Peter 3, 8-12, through that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a fallen world, you ask the question, who would love life? Who would like to see good days? And God, that's my prayer for the whole audience. So Lord, my prayer, first of all, is for anyone that's never entered into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. That today would be the day that they receive Christ. By inviting him into their lives and asking for forgiveness of their sins. And, Father, the second thing my prayer is, is if some are struggling in the relationship with their family, maybe it's a father here that says, Man, I realize hearing the story about Thomas Carlyle, I haven't spent enough time with my wife or my kids, and God, help me. I don't want to have that regret. God, maybe it's a student here today that realizes they need to work on some some godly friendships and they need to practice better relationships because I don't know what it is, Father, but work in each and every heart. Right now, with no one looking around, would anyone say, Pastor Timothy, you know, you mentioned that relationship with God and I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. So today is my day of salvation. I want to surrender my life to Him. If that's you, no one looking around, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you, anyone at all. Timothy, I need to receive Christ. Second question, would anyone say, Timothy, you know, you mentioned about having better relational skills with God and with others. And while you were talking, God brought some areas of growth in my life. Please pray that I'll grow in these areas. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand with you. Thank you. Father, you see your hearts and our hands. Ask and pray that you would do your work like only you can. We love you and thank you. God, help us to love the life that you've given us. And help us to live to see better days ahead for our families, for our church, and for our community. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. If you guys will stand, we have our hymn of invitation. Pastor Adam and I will be at the front. If you have any prayer concerns, we would be glad to pray for you.